Eve Vines, good morning. I, I'm a tourist and, and a foreigner. Yeah, and you know, it's International Fetish Day today. <laughs> so I love, I love the gimp mask. You're looking great. <laughs> um, 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 thank God we're on radio. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, well, Steve's here to purr all over what happened yesterday. I am. I am. I mean, listener, can I, can I be Listeners, honest? Listener. listener <laughs> can I be honest? I, I had a sleepless night. I Did was you? agog with excitement, excitement over that extraordinary policy address. What by, a state of the nation. By my friend quaffing partner yeah and in many other ways close ally mr cy learn well it, i mean what i was going to say is you know I, I i mean there's all sorts of people who say and it's hardly an original remark to make that these policy addresses are, are, are largely a waste of time but but in the wake of the tumultuous 12 months that hong kong has undergone the bitter divisions of society the eruption of anger on the streets etc etc things mm. we all know about you would have thought the person who's, who is purported to be the leader of that community would say, well, if I do nothing else in this policy address, I'm going to try and bring the people together. I'm going to try and restore <laughs> no, some I'm confidence in, in, in government. But, I mean, there was almost an aggressive, an aggressive determination to annoy the people who are already annoyed with him. In other words, instead of, for example... You know, after in Britain the Scottish referendum, yeah. when um, the, the Scottish nationalists were kicked back, yeah. one of the main things that all the leaders of, of the pro-union camp did, including the Prime Minister, was, was to say things to the people of Scotland who'd voted the other way about how they'd heard what they had to say, how, how you know, they'd taken careful note, etc., etc. Seymour mm. Leung is saying, not only am I not listening to you, but... I am now going to tell you not only why you're wrong, but why you're dangerous, why you're promoting anarchy, why a small article in a student publication needs to be part of my policy address, yeah. why basically this and that. The day before the policy address, in case anyone might have missed the point of I'm, I'm taking no hostages, he, he holds this extraordinary... Um, he hosts, rather, this extraordinary discussion at which all the press, which belongs to the Communist Party, is invited, the Dagong Bao and the One Way Post, no other newspaper is invited, and presents them with what he says. He's still calling evidence of foreign intervention, foreign interference in the, in, in the Occupy movement. But to this day, he, he, he's still using the words, now I have evidence. So you say, so Mr Lung, what is it? I have evidence. Yes, Mr. Miller, yeah, what is it? I have the evidence. I am telling you. I have, you know, I mean, usually when you have evidence, what you do is, uh, oh, that's right, you present it. You reveal it, don't so, you? So, I mean, if you are set on a path of confrontation, your name is Mr. C.Y. Lung, or 689, as he's known to his friends. Well, it didn't get off to a great start because uh, the usuals put on quite a show yesterday. Yeah, they did. They did. I mean... You know, you, you can have a debate over whether walking out was a great plan or sitting there was a great plan. My view is... You know it's going to happen. If I was going to be there, I would have walked out because, you know, there's the boredom factor be just to be, <laughs> to be considered. Has anybody you know, got a yellow I, umbrella I, I can borrow? But have you got a yellow umbrella? Um, can, I, can I raise my fist, my left fist? Well, you know. But, but the fact of the matter is, if you then go into the details of this and he says, you know, ah, yes... Yes, the, the people are out on the streets because what, they, what, what the young people really want to do is get a foot on the business ladder. Um, yep. Do you know what? I spent a long time at the Occupy protest. Foot on the business ladder was not a term that I heard 
not once, not twice, but the word never comes to mind. Structurally, this one was a little bit different because they usually get the constitutional stuff somewhere down there. Yeah. Boom! Straight yeah, in there. Boom, boom. Overture. I, 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 I lead a fragmented and bitterly divided society, and I want you all to know, as of today, that I'm only going to be the leader of that bit of the society which is on my side. The rest of you can go and... And these words I'm not allowed to use on radio. So go and take a hike, I think is Do the what the mayor of Rotterdam said the other day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if yes. you don't like it. Yes, yes. <clears throat> well, some of the stuff that came up in this um, will affect different people differently. And one thing, I got an email here from Jonathan. He says, why on earth does the government think that second and third generation overseas Hong Kongers would want to come to live here when, according to a recent poll, over 60% of Hong Kong's youth wants to leave through a sense of hopelessness due to a perceived lack of opportunity uh, and a life ahead of, at best, running just to stand still. He goes on, the final paragraph, it says, um, so what makes the government think that this would be an attractive proposition to those who, by the way, already live in places where they're able to have some say in who's in government? Good point. I mean, you, you, you know, as ever... Um, he plays the ethnic card and doesn't play the Hong Kong's needs card. I mean, it's, it's been pointed out, for example, that, that one of the things that Hong Kong badly needs is to a- attract talent rather than a- attract money. So in that sense, he has um, addressed that issue with scrapping this, this crazy capital investment scheme, which was just another way of putting price, property prices up for rich mainlanders. But, but but when you get down to the details, you know, if you have a qualification that's internationally recognised, it's almost always not recognised in Hong Kong, so you can't use it. I mean, for people in the medical profession. Dogs, yeah. uh, uh, not only, for, 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 for a whole range of fields. Why is that? Of course, because of the protective practices of the cartels that run all these professions. Mm. So, you know, if you want to address the talent issue, you've got to do that. I mean, I know from my area of, a small area of expertise, which is the food business, if you want to employ a specialist chef who, who, who has skills that aren't available in Hong Kong, um, it's absolutely fine as long as you've got six months to, to do the paperwork, and by which time your customers will be out the door and won't be interested. Some so, other- you know, on all of these levels, from the big sort of high professional to, to the niche skills... Hong Kong doesn't address those issues. Of course, his policy address doesn't address it. All he talks about, because he knows that these are people who he can afford to kick around, is, oh, yeah, well, construction workers, you know, after all, they're only working class. I mean, he's going to bring more of those in, because after all, you know, they're just... They're just scum, aren't they? They're workers. We don't care about them. But for, for in other key areas where you need imported labour with particular skills... Uh, nada, nothing, and garnished is in there. Some of the chefs who come on the programme on Fridays, they run some top businesses in town, and they said it's a nightmare trying to get the the, the guy we want to do this. Yeah. It's quite a big issue with the immigration boys. It, it is an extremely big issue, and uh, but uh, but you know, I mean, I just happen to know about the food industry, but but I'm, I gather that other industries have exactly the same problem. Yeah. But I tell you one thing, and and you may say, oh well, he keeps banging on about this, but <laughs> you, you you wait. And I tell you what I bang on about this. It's, it's this careless thing that he said in the middle of the, you know, we're going to make tough decisions to, oh, that's right, destroy the country park so we can build housing. Now, one thing that you know absolutely is 
that the government has never done and will never do because the property developers don't want them to do it, a proper survey of land use in Hong Kong to identify how many of these brownfield sites, how many of these sites next to container ports, etc., etc., could be rezoned for housing need. Mm. The easier option is just to say, God, blimey, Hong Kong's full of that green stuff. Isn't it terrible? Oh, and by the way, our friends in the Hongi Cook are gagging for rezoning in those areas because they're going to make lots of money out of it. Why don't we just do that? And I tell you this, and I can be as adamantly sure about this, very few things are predictable. Once you start taking a nibble out of the country parks, boom, you open the door. Then there'll be nibble number two. Then there'll be no, big like the hunger, bite really. number three. <laughs> exactly, big bite number three. Then there'll be swallow number four. It, it's like semi-pregnancy. It never happens. Once you've started, you carry on. And that's what these guys will do. So it's not just for the convenience of the people. And I declare a vested interest like me who live in the country park. It's, it's the whole of Hong Kong. Yeah. It's, it's the back door. It's where people visit. I'm delighted to be able to say, even though it, it, I'm not that happy about it, really, because... I'm selfish. But, you know, there are an increasing number of Hong Kongers who go to the country park, particularly, obviously, at weekends and public holidays, and enjoy it and are getting in touch with the natural environment. Their relatively close proximity to the city centre mm. makes it a unique opportunity for people who live in a dense urban conurbation to, to, to breathe, literally. And his plan, and I know that there's a lot of pressure on him to do this mm -hmm. to um you, you know to, to make the country parts smaller than they are is almost i i hate to say this but i think it's almost certain to happen and he'll do it under the banner of meeting housing need this is deeply cynical the, this stuff kind of ties in with Jonathan's email here because he's talking about the future mm. and he's talking about, as he says, the second and third generation Hong Kong as well. There's not much for them to come back to, is there? Or will be? Not well, much. I, I wonder what, you know, what is, it, what is it that's actually on offer here? One assumes maybe that they speak Cantonese, so that, that's an obvious advantage in, in, in the labour market. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as you say, if you look at, or rather as Jonathan says, if you look at most surveys... Yeah. Actually, the aspirations of an extraordinarily high percentage of young people is to leave. It seems to be. So, I mean, I, I don't seriously believe 60% of Hong Kong's youth are going to leave Hong Kong. But, you know, say 10% left. God, that's an enormously large number. This, this thing about um, fostering international talent, I'm assuming that means mainland talent, it's fair to say, well, what well, about... I don't think I don't think there is a plan for that. There's only a plan for bringing more construction workers. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, there was some comment. I was listening a little bit. There was some comment about international talent yeah, yeah, somewhere down was, the line. Yeah, there was, but there were no concrete... I mean, the only thing that he seems to have a concrete plan for is... Oh, let's keep wage. let's keep wage levels down in the construction industry. And goodness, who is it who uses the construction industry? Would this by any chance be the property developers? <laughs> it's oh, so oh, cynical, oh, what, a, what a wild guess I'm taking Actually, that's, here. A bit, that's a bit Singapore, and that's what similar sort of yes, things they do yes and and uh, you, you know you can take it to the extreme absurdities of a place like abu dhabi so you've got only 10 percent of the people who are living there are actually the native population what do you understand about this comment about the hong kong student union rag under undergrad yeah i mean what, 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 well well let, let, let's 
first of all, just say what it is. This is a student publication. I've been an editor of a student publication, and I would have been absolutely delighted if anybody had taken the slightest bit of notice of it. I <laughs> mentioned it in a policy address. But um, uh, So here's a student uh, publication which had articles... I believe, more than one I say. about Hong Kong going it alone in the world and Hong Kong people being more um, independently minded. It's what you call... I'll explain this, Mr Lung. This is what you call a discussion. See, in academic circles, you debate. You say, X is a good thing, then you challenge it. Y is a better thing. Maybe um, Z is, is an even better thing. Yeah. This is called a debate. It's not called... A politically correct point of view because politically correct points of view no fun are no fun and are mainly for people like oh let me give a random example see why learn so but what is his great plan now is not only to to involve himself in student politics which i think is very delightful and to read student magazines which i think is equally delightful. and if he reads viz <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sure he doesn't read Charlie Hebdo, and I think we'll come on to that <laughs> we will later. indeed, yeah. But um, um, but um, his 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 great you know new plan is is he thinks oh you can purge the youth of these unpatriotic ideas. So his his other big scheme is to get children in schools to spend more time in mainland schools to be imbued with patriotic fervor. With Steve Vines, 20 minutes to 11 right now. I want to ask you something, a bit of a comparison. Is the use of mottos or mantras, Je suis Charlie, I will walk with you, or whatever it may be, very much a new media thing, a social media thing? Compare it to, say, the 80s. I'm, I'm not terribly sure it is. I think what's happened is the speed at which it travels. Well, yeah. You know, well, uh, um, uh, you, 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 you know in, in, in France, for example, there, there was a very famous... Um, Incident after the May 1968 um, student uprising, uh, one of the leaders of it was uh, Daniel Kambendi, and uh, th- there was a foreign minister. This was quite interesting. The, the, the foreign, the, not the foreign minister, the interior minister of France at the time was a man called Poniatowski, a good old French name. Yeah. <laughs> and Poniatowski said about of oh, the students. He said, "Oh, they're led by that um, German Jew." Can bend it, and and all over France there were all these um, uh, people saying, you know, nous sommes tous juifs allemands. We are all we are all German Jews. So I mean, it's the same sort of thing. People do pick up on this, and it's highly effective. Poniatowski was out of office and shut up very quickly after that. Mm. So you know, I, I, I think what's happened now is is that. If it's a good idea, and it has to be a good idea, yeah. and Je suis Charlie is a good idea because it, it just says it. I'm identifying with the people who are the victims sort of, of this attack. isn't it? Solidarity, I think, I think yeah. a very famous one of those was obviously JFK behind Berliner. That was about yes, togetherness. Yes, absolutely. But people I mean, didn't comment on it then online. No, That's no, the they didn't comment on it, and you didn't find somebody in, in, in a remote part of India holding a sign saying he's behind Berliner. Exactly. But, but you would probably today. I think this is... So, you know, that's... Um, in all this um, stuff that we say about how terrible the internet is and, and web communications and all this, there is some 
good sides to it. Do you know much about Charlie Hebdo? I was reading yesterday that it's it's comedy is very very French. It's very absurd. They call it Rubik a Brac. Yeah, and and it takes a bit of getting your head around. Well, it, it, it's it's a level of French which is beyond mine. <laughs> I, I have to say that. So I so I I'll have to fess up and say it, it, it ain't my reading material. Sure, no. But but I think the um, interesting thing about it is as ever. And, and thank you, terrorists, for this. I, I, I say this with slight reservation. You, you, you know, this was a small, struggling magazine. Now they're it's through now the roof. a world-famous magazine. Million. That, well, apparently it's now gone up to five million, Climate. the print run, of, of the post-attack edition. And, you know, all over the world, all over the world, you have big protests, you have governments coming out. In Hong Kong, there was a tiny little protest. I'm not being rude about the fact that it was a small protest but it was say a hundred people it certainly wasn't more than that outside the foreign correspondence club oh, yeah, last classic. week and what happened and what happened there was they were standing out literally standing outside the door of the foreign correspondence club holding posters saying je suis charlie and all this sort of stuff the police issued a warning for unlawful assembly and they took the president's id card yeah took the president's id i mean you have to Don't ask yourself. <laughs> they thought it was what? funny, thankfully. Uh, well, ironically, what is it? What is it that in Hong Kong you can't understand the rest of the world? I mean, you know, world leaders were, broke their schedules to turn up to the this massive solidarity demonstration. Yeah, in some Paris who've got a few skeletons of their own, by the way. Well, <laughs> absolutely, but this was a, a you, you, you know. Um, Everybody of note was there, with two notable exceptions. The President of the United States, yeah. who's now said that he thought it was a mistake, because America was only represented by its ambassador, okay. which is a pretty low level. I mean, compared with, you know, Secretaries of State, Foreign Ministers and, mm -hmm. and Government Leaders. Oh, and China, who sent its foreign ambassador. Now, whereas the... United States and now and the State Department and indeed the President's spokesman says they think it was a mistake not to be there. How did China follow up on its low level of representation at this rally? Xinhua issued a commentary criticising Charlie Hebdo for its lack of sensitivity to other people's views, blasting the idea of freedom of expression, of free media, and saying, you know, there must be limits and controls on freedom of so who was the only official government of any note to actually give comfort to these attackers and terrorists? It was the Chinese government. Well, you might say, well, a commentary in Xinhua, mm, maybe that wasn't official policy. But just in case anybody was in any doubt, the following day, the foreign ministry spokesman came out with exactly the same line. But don't you... Not publicised here, interestingly. Quite, got, got quite a lot of publicity in the United States. I didn't see it in any Hong Kong newspapers absolutely extraordinary in the aftermath of this to give succour and comfort yeah. to the perpetrators yeah. of this enormous crime. I mean, we know that China doesn't like media freedom. I, even I know that. Really? I, I read it in a newspaper, so it must be true. But, you know, sometimes a moment of silence is appropriate. Not apparently if you're in Zhongnanhai. There's a picture, back to the thing here for a second, there, there's a picture of all the... A lot of these guys work for a French um, news agency as well who are yes. in the picture. And there's a picture of all these guys standing there, blocking the pavement, and there's one very bemused-looking police lady walking the other way. Somebody's just written me to suggest they only got a ticket because Moriarty was there. <laughs> well, then it's understandable. <laughs> you wouldn't expect... I mean, China's 
doing what China does, surely. Yeah, China's doing what it does. I'm just saying there's time and place. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's not a great revelation to learn that China doesn't support uh, media freedom. We, we kind of know that. But in the wake of that attack, just couldn't, couldn't they just have buttoned it for a week, say? Mm. And just, instead of saying to the terrorists, we feel your pain, which is more or less what they would say. I'm sure they didn't mean to say that, etc. Do you say that by kind of abstaining? I mean, granted... Well, I mean, you, you don't rub salt in the wound. You don't say that they have a just cause in doing what they were done, yeah. uh, what, what they did, rather. I mean, I don't think practically anybody else in the world is going round except for a few fanatics who, who, you know, think that they can brandish their religion as a disguise for terrorism. I, I, other than them, I don't think anybody in the world is going round saying, oh, you know, that Charlie Hebdo... You know, it was pretty, pretty out of line. I mean, you know, if there were only some controls on what it did, these attacks wouldn't have happened. Of course, that is total and complete BS. Because if they didn't attack Charlie Hebdo, they'd have found a woman not having her head covered. I mean, th there's a legion of reasons why these fanatics behave in the way they do. They want to provoke the response. Well, they do. I mean, you look at what happened in Nigeria kidnapping of all these schoolgirls, the beheading of people in the name of Islam. I mean, you know, it, it, you, you can't blame the victims. You know, what are you going to say? Those, those schoolgirls shouldn't have been breathing, otherwise they wouldn't have been subject to, to kidnapping, and we don't know what else has happened to them, but apparently it's all unspeakable. You know, I mean, blame the victim? I don't think so. Mm. It's, it, I find it actually quite disgusting. Mm. I really do. Well, back to where we started on this one, at least you can discuss all this stuff on social media. And, and, and to be fair, I think we should make the point, we're sitting here in Hong Kong and discussing it. Yeah. And that, that is a major distinction. So while all of this is going, and what happens a few days after the Charlie Hebdo attack, there's an attack on Next Media Group and its owner, uh, Jimmy Lai. You would have thought because there's all these people from the chief executive downward talking about rule of law, there would have been wall-to-wall -wall condemnation of that. Mm. Would you? Bleh. There was one statement by Rimsky Yoon, who didn't volunteer it, he was actually asked, the Secretary for Justice was actually asked to comment, and he did. There was, other than that, total official silence. Some of the DAB people came up and in general terms said, violence, jolly bad thing, we don't like it. And then, of course, you had the odious Regina gagging to get herself on the radio to say... Oh, me? Oh, me. I, can I speak? Because I like to speak. Um, oh, too soon to draw any conclusions. What? <laughs> About what was it too soon to draw a conclusion? What, what is she saying? That, that there was some vague coincidence that at the same time incident. of day, a media group that has been subject of attacks many times before was attacked yet again, and its owner, who's been the subject of attack many times before was attacked again too soon to say what this was about i mean you know it's it is breathtaking that somebody like her who claims to be the champion of police and law and order and what's it can't even bring herself to say i don't care i don't care whether i agree or disagree with this section of the media i want to be standing alongside the people who've been the subject of a violent attack mm. Mm. What's so difficult about that? 
she tends to comment quite a lot on on everything. quite a lot of things. <laughs> there is that. So, but I said to, I said to you earlier on, just you know, verbal diarrhea. I, I mean, very often it's that kind of that kind of thing. But I said to you earlier on, um, before we went on the air, I said, are the media guys to blame for this? Because every time somebody pops their head up and makes a comment. Do, we, do they have to report well, it? Well, there is that, that. There is that. I mean, you know... Yeah, very um, name comment, you know, often. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, the, the excuse given is that there's lots of airtime to fill. And, well, true. And, and some people are keener to fill it than others. It's not a great excuse. It's a reason, though. All right, let's bring it back to Hong Kong again. Did you manage to get that bank account open in Kuantong? <laughs> the one you said you were going to do? Yes. Well, well this... <laughs> This is. I mean, I'm laughing, but it's actually. I'm looking it's for actually, some. It's actually part of the government's official statements that that there's something suspicious. Mind mm. you, I'm a bit suspicious because it was the Hong Kong Bank. Mm. Think about that, listener. The Hong Kong Bank apparently has a branch in Kuantong. Not many people that knew that. Is the big killer, and here. that is the same. Pro- I mean, this is this is like, you know, when you've got a small child who says, well, Daddy, I want to have ice cream because that lady in yellow is wearing an ice... Is, is eating an ice cream, so i got to have an ice cream too. This starts saying, that same branch of the bank was used do, by, do, do, do. by somebody else to draw a cheque. Hmm, that cheque apparently came from somebody working in the next media group. I think we've got a conspiracy going on here. Some people call it a bank. The, the funny thing is that all of this... Um, I mean, we can say this because, actually, we know what, what they're, they're harping on about, even though they won't say what it is. What, what, what they're talking about is some payments that were made to the leader of the Occupy movement by something called the... Uh, and I'm almost certain to get the name wrong. We have an erudite listener who can correct me. But it's something like the, the National Democratic Institute. It, it's some such NGO working out of Washington yep. that has indeed provided funds for a project for Benny Tai at Chinese U. As if, you know, university academics don't get funds for overseas for all sorts of things. Yeah. It's a relatively small amount. It's about a fifth of the amount that CY Learn got for, um, from that Australian company, which I believe is abroad, isn't it, Australia? Is, is Australia in, in Hong Kong? I don't know. I thought it was abroad. Anyway, I'm probably mistaken about it. It's a fifth of the amount that CY Learn got from the Australian company, which was busy taking over the company he controlled to the um, benefit of CY Lung, but not to the other shareholders. But anyway, yeah. we'll, we'll set that aside. I think the sum in question... They had, they had a big cardboard cheque yesterday, didn't they, at the beginning? I'm assuming it's that. It, it's, I'm sh- I think it said 50, 50, whatever. You know, when they got kicked out, one of them had a sort of... Like, oh, oh, you this present was, someone this a big, was the, big cheque. The, the check. This was CY Lung's cheque, yeah. So, but, but just coming back to this so-called foreign conspiracy. So you've got this NGO that's been funding a project at um, Chinese University, which involves Benny Tai, who indeed is the leader of Occupy Central. Mm. And this is the evidence? This... This is the evidence that foreigners controlled the Occupy movement. This relatively small sum of money explains everything. Boy, 